0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chingona. This is Nadia coming to you from Austin. And today I'm going to play an interview with Julia Arredondo, a Chicago-based artist and printmaker who grew up in Corpus Christi. And she runs not one but two businesses, Vice Versa Press, which she started in 2011, and Curandera Press, which she started last year. And a quick vocabulary lesson to make sure we're all on the same page Zines are small independent publications, and I've seen them created for everything from LGBT poetry to superheroes to drawings of breakfast food. And they have a really rich history that I don't have time to get into right now, but it's definitely a larger topic worth checking out. So I've only ever met Julia once in person a few years back when she was selling her art at a festival in Corpus Christi, but she left such an impression on me. Because one, she was incredibly, genuinely encouraging when I told her I was interested in making my own zine. And two, I was blown away by one of hers. I bought her Guide to Dating Gangsters, Volume 1, and I had never seen anything like it. It was this little book she had written and illustrated with drawings and photos. that was sort of like a field guide to all kinds of men, DJs and crust punks, which I didn't know was a thing. And it was so funny and cool. So when we started this podcast, I reached out to her because I wanted to learn more about how she started her businesses and what led her to this medium. And she gave me this really personal look into what led her down this path and who she is as an artist. And we talked about spirituality and how growing up in Corpus Christi influenced her and the state of transition she's finding herself in right now. So let's start with a reading Julia selected from one of her zines before jumping into her talking about why she started her second venture, which is Kurandera Press. Hi, my name
1: is Julia and I'm reading from my zine titled Guide to Being Alone, which is available through Vice Versa Press and was written in 2011 in Corpus Christi, Texas. So I'm reading from the section titled Realize that your friends suck? I figured that would be useful during this Mercury Retrograde. It happens. It sucks, though. Here are some tips for finding better friends. Number one. Get off the computer. I guess in these days it'd be get off the phone. Virtual reality is such skewed perception. Maybe if people weren't desperately looking for soulmates online when we're in the midst of real human beings, we'd all have better luck at finding good friends. Keep in mind that ultra-hip dude online might actually be the most awkward creep in person. Real connections occur in the flesh. Sometimes over coffee, maybe at a dumpster, often in the most unexpected places. Number two. Ditch the cool factor. Cool gets in the way of so much. The act of being cool, the process of maintaining your cool, the current cool status of whatever is hip at the moment, it's all bullshit. Once that cool facade gets thrown to the wind, things get real. You're into Pokemon? That's not cool, but it's honest and real friends might understand that odd fascination. You wear cheap undies and cut your own greasy hair? Not cool, but I do that too. Real friends know the real you in all its gross and goofy honesty. And on a side note, Pokemon is kind of cool now, so things change like that. Things go in cycles. Number three, give it time. Friends need growing space too. Just because homegirl number one doesn't want to hit the dubstep bro down with you doesn't mean she doesn't understand. It's just that sometimes those parties really suck. As with any relationship, there are off days. The homies you can trust and who'll set you straight when you get out of hand are rare. Treasure them, buy them a cheap drink. I noticed that there was like a clash in my identity with vice versa press, so vice versa was kind of alternative and countercultural. But when I would make these products that were more on the spiritual side, it didn't really fit, in my opinion. You know, and I'm completely interested in marketing and, and sales and how to survive as an artist making commodities. So I decided to to branch off with Good Andera Press and um, not just make it about my work, but try to get a broader sense of what spirituality in South Texas means. And explore that in the arts and through writing and through all these things that people are making, since like spirituality has come back in the art world in a very big way lately. So this is kind of an interesting time to survey that. And it's also like my ties to home. You know I don't go to Corpus Christi as much as I used to, and this is like my way of keeping tabs on on what that political, social, spiritual climate is down there. Right now, it's just me trying to curate, trying to run social media, but ideally, it would be great to bring in other people. To help run this as a collective, that just requires some time and planning, and people who want to devote some time to something that may or may not yield a profit, you know. And for a lot of people, that's hard. Curandera Press right now is mostly like products, but I mean there are some zines that are part of the. I'm going to say distro for now, even though it's not necessarily a distro. Um, but we've got a lady in San Antonio, uh, Victoria De Leon. Her zines are called Grow Some Shit but they're like really smart and they're beautifully made and they're about growing herbs, growing succulents, these things that, you know, as like self-healers or brujas or brujos, as we identify ourselves, sometimes we don't have those skills. It's just like a lot of how-to writing, a lot of personal stories. There's another woman in San Antonio now, her name's uh, Lisette Chavez, and she does borderline Catholic satanic um, artwork. And so I've got some of her illustrations and writing in the distro to so I'm trying to expand I'm trying to like gather as many people who are interested in that subject matter and that weird borderline spirituality not necessarily church related more like things that were passed on to us via our lineage as far as like chicanas or tahanas go I grew up with a couple because my parents were working they were always working so I grew up with a couple that took care of many kids in Corpus Christi. Many of the, like, working girl generation brought their kids to the Adan, Mary and Adan Perez. This was in Corpus Christi. And they took care of, like, over, I don't know, 50 or 90 kids. And so I was one of them. And I stayed with them for a really long time and became a part of their family. And I learned most of these practices through them, Mary Perez in particular. Like, she would take me to the curio shops and things like that. And I, you know, I, I didn't know what they were, but... Having grown up with all the iconography and all the weird practices, it sparked an interest in me at a really young age. And, you know, I am Mexican, but I'm Mexican-Italian, so I've got this weird cultural binary, and I feel like being a part of the Perez family helped me understand South Texas culture completely, as opposed to just being, like, this Americanized young person growing up with MTV and VH1. The Perez family was just totally Tejano and Tejana, and that's how I became a part of it. I mean, my real grandma would do the egg while we were sleeping, but, you know, I would pretend to be asleep um, when I was sick. But Mary Perez, she was kind of witchy, you know, in the most awesome ways, and she was always also an Aries, so she was, like, kind of aggressive, and, and, uh, like, when stuff wasn't going her way, we would go to the curandero. I learned, I mean, she was trying to break up her brother's relationship with this girl and just stuff like that my goodness. (laughs) She was she's awesome, totally cool, but the little things I don't think she thought or she knew that I was picking up on, I was. But just like pictures and water, not necessarily spells, but like practices of binding and and domination and control that I don't necessarily partake in. I'm more interested in healing and apparently her grandmother was a healer, was a curandera on the block, around like Agnes um, and Laredo down in Corpus Christi but Nana was more aggressive in her practices. But so curanderismo is is sort of like a DIY healthcare, um, predominantly practiced within the Latino community. Um, I experienced it in South Texas. I'm sure curanderismo exists on the West Coast and in parts of the the East Coast and things like that. But the practices that I remember most are from South Texas, from Corpus Christi. I mean, I grew up in like a um, non-denomination sort of Latina, Latino Baptist-esque church. Um, So I've always been very spiritual. Whenever I go back to Texas, I always sort of realize how evangelical my family is. And there's something very comforting about that to me. You know, when people come up to me randomly and are like, do you know who God is? And I'm like, yes, I do. (laughs) You know, because I, you know, sometimes I look alternative and things like that. But curanderismo... Since I, you know, I've always had a strange relationship to doctors and healthcare in general, since I've never had insurance, and I don't plan on having insurance anytime soon. Granderismo is, honestly, it's more of a spiritual pra- practice to me than a physical practice. I, you know, believe in community and taking care of our communities, and through my travels, I've definitely built a community that spans the United States predominantly. And listening to everyone's concern and concerns and listening to everyone's struggles, and then... Also observing like this um, Latinidad resurgence that's happening within the country. I think this is a really interesting time to embrace our heritage as Chicanas, Chicanos, tehanas, Te- uh, Tejanos, not just the image, but the spiritual practice. I think the spiritual practice is a big part of my identity as a Tejana. And, um, and I think for, for many people, spiritual practice is. It's just nice to have a spiritual practice that exists outside of the church. Definitely was interested in art when I was very young. My dad had wanted to be an artist, but never got the chance to. So he really let me explore and indulge in just ideas of actually becoming an artist in the future. So I went to art school in Baltimore and Vice Versa Press was founded pretty much the last year of of college in Baltimore as a way for me to distribute my work, as a way for me to try to support myself by making things and selling them. And Vice Versa Press was that umbrella you know, that name, because I, was, I never thought Julia Arredondo was a very rock star name. And so vice versa, it was just easier for people to identify with and to identify me with. That's what I thought, at least. Zines are totally unedited. You know, I think that's the most artistic part about zines is that there are no editors involved for the most part. Zines are pretty much raw communication, raw image making. You're like allowed into someone's very personal realm when you open a zine. And that, I think, that in itself, at a time when when I was growing up, when everything was very commercial, when boy bands were really big, when, like, mass-producing entities like Walmart were the place to go, zines were the total alternative. You know, it was something that you could create. It wasn't necessarily valued at the time, monetarily, but it was almost an act of resistance. I think zines still, to some extent, are that act of resistance. It's totally undocumented information, for the most part. Now libraries are becoming a big... A big presence in the Zine community, which is great, but as far as disseminating information that may be dangerous or um, at times illegal, we're probably going to see less of that.
0: At the time that you started Vice Versa Press, like what was going on in your world? You know, what did what did you want to document? What did you want to make?
1: At that time, I was like serial dating and and feeling like I had wasted the majority of my college career just sleeping with guys and not feeling that I had that I had gotten any return, like any emotional return. I guess feeling a little bit like I had wasted my time. And vice versa was, began predominantly with zines and my writing to try to reclaim that time that I had spent on all these guys because I was dating predominantly all men at the time. I was dating all men at the time. And that's when Guide to Dating Gangsters came out, and that was just sort of my way of making fun of all of these experiences all while trying to, you know, trying to get that time back, try to to make something of these experiences that I had had. Zine making is something I can control creatively from start to finish, and since I went to school for printing, I am every process of the production of zines, and I like that. I want to control the way the zine feels. I want to control the message. I want to control... experience that people have and it's not necessarily that I'm a control freak I just am very particular with what I sell I want it to in order for people to part with their money I want to I want them to feel like they're getting something that was made with love or that was made with with purpose and value and so that's honestly why I've stayed with the zine format but I'm sort of in a limbo right now I'm trying to figure out where to go because the zine community is changing and um, I'm not too sure if that's the avenue that I belong in anymore you know, I'm getting older, you know, and I think zine culture doesn't necessarily belong to young people, but, you know, as I continue to go to zine fairs and zine fests and things like this, I am definitely becoming one of the oldest people tabling. So I feel like a switch is in the works, maybe moving more towards art books and working as an artist and not just as a zine maker. I think that's probably the transition that I'm anticipating now. For a really long time, it was counterculture and alternative lifestyles and things like that but now it is oh gosh it's it's a lot of just observations about life and living and reflection and finding my voice really honing in on on my voice and what an identity I mean identity is such a big part of my work and right now you know as multi-racial light-skinned Latina mostly only English speaking you know it's very complex I don't really fit in with the Latinidad movement that's happening. I'm, you know, I'm not Mexican enough. I'm not Italian enough. I'm not white enough. I'm not brown enough. So that experience alone is really helping me in a lot of ways to develop my voice because I don't fit in anywhere. So it's just really honing in on these weird, strange things that make me, me.
0: What else about Corpus Christi do you think informs your point of view? Because I'm sure the way that you're you're creating... Is different from the way that somebody from like Las Vegas or Baltimore, or, you know, who grew up in the Midwest would probably express their point of
1: view. The sense of humor, you know, the trying not to let it get to me, trying not to let it get me down, and trying to move forward and making it happen no matter what. I'm not saying that all of Corpus Christi is like that, but I really think the bouncing back and making light of it. Is something that is like super great about CC. The sense of humor down there is just phenomenal. I definitely want to emphasize that I'm not just making work for profit. However, I don't think that artists should should shy away from the idea of making profit, Um, and that's something that I want to be good at. You know, learning from punk rock, and punk rock was like give everything away for free, um, and then starting to listen to more hip hop. And the hip-hop, the makers of hip-hop and the purveyors of hip-hop are incredible businessmen um, and businesswomen. Um, So trying to, like, mesh those two cultures together is the school that I'm sort of learning from as I go. But I do believe that the artist, the role of the artist and the image of the artist is changing. And I would like to see entrepreneur and successful business person be a part of that. Honestly, I didn't hear chingona a lot in um, Corpus. What I heard in Corpus was chiflada or chifladita, something like that, Uh, chismosa. (laughs) Um, So chingona is something, honestly, that is new to me, um, this term. And for me, it's kind of a mature, like, self-aware embracing of sort of what it is to be um, witty and kind of bratty, know what you want. Um, no shits given, um, but going for, going for all the goals that you've set yourself, like no matter what, um, you're going to get it, you're going to get it your way and, uh, it's my way or the highway. So that's honestly what I think about Chingona, um, which is totally different than Chiflada, sort of. It's, I, to me, Chingona is the more mature version of Chiflada.
0: Since we recorded this interview in April, Julia has been accepted to grad school in Chicago and Vice Versa Press is up for sale, so get in touch with her if you're interested in running your own lifestyle goods company. You can visit her at viceversapress.com, curanderapress.info, and both of those on Instagram and Etsy. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, or check us out at chingonapodcast.com. And leave us a review on iTunes. It helps new listeners find us, so we really appreciate it. Until next time, bye!